We're going to open to 2 Kings chapter 3. I gave you a couple of bookmarks, and if you want to put another bookmark in, right after 2 Kings is 1st and 2nd Chronicles. And go to 2 Chronicles chapter 19 and put a bookmark in there. And those will be the two passages we will be looking at as we look at uh, the introduction to the ministry of Elisha. So 2 Kings chapter 3, and we're going to read verses 1 through 8. Now Jehoram, the son of Ahab, became king over Israel at Samaria in the 18th year of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, and reigned 12 years. And he did evil in the sight of the Lord, but not like his father and mother did. For he put away the sacred pillar of Baal that his father had made. Nevertheless, he persisted in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Naboth, who made Israel sin. He did not depart from them. Now Mesha, king of Moab, was a sheep breeder, and he regularly paid the king of Israel 100,000 lambs and the wool of 100,000 rams. But it happened when Ahab died that the king of Moab rebelled against the king of Israel. So King Jehoram went out of Samaria at that time and mustered all Israel. Then he went and he sent to Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, saying, The king of Moab has rebelled against me. Will you go with me to fight against Moab? And he said, I will go up. I am as you are, and my people as your people, and my horses as your horses. Then he said, Which way shall we go? And he answered, By way of the wilderness of Eden. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Let's bow our heads in a word of prayer. Father, we come before you this morning, or this evening, and Lord, we thank you for your word. And Father, as we look at the life of Elisha, and we start to see his ministry become active, Lord, we just ask that you would work with each one of us. Father, if there's anything I want in my life, it's to be known as being faithful. And Father, I pray that for each one of us that are here, Lord, that we would be faithful to your word. We would not run ahead or lag behind, but Lord, that we would obey what you have given us to do. Father, we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. We want to start looking at the ministry of Elisha. We've met him before. Uh, You might remember his calling. Uh, He was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen, so it was obviously a large field with, with 12 plows. This was probably, the oxen were probably his inheritance, Elijah arrives and tosses his mantle on him and just walks off. And he immediately leaves the oxen, runs after Elijah, and says, let me first go say goodbye. And Elijah tells him, "You go back. What have I to do with you? And he goes back to his house. He uh, butchers the oxen. He cooks them with the, with the plow, into the, the wood from the plow implements. And, you know, it's, it's very similar to a vow of consecration that a Nazarite would do. Uh, it's believed that that's actually the, fa- the ceremony that he went through as he gave himself totally to the Lord and to Elijah, getting rid of anything that would hold him back. And from then on, he becomes the servant of Elijah. And we continue to follow his life, and we don't see him again, even though we see Elijah several times, we don't see him again until Elijah's about ready to depart from this world. And then Elisha is introduced to us as Elisha is told by Elijah, you stay here, I have to go. And Elisha says, no, where you go, I will go. And they go to Jericho. And then they start from Gilgal and they go to Jericho and they go to Bethel and they go to Jordan and they cross Jordan. And at each place, Elijah gives 
Elisha the same choice. Please, rest here, stay here. And Elijah says, no, I will go where you go. I will be faithful to the end. I will walk this path. And when he gets across, Elijah seems, this seems to have been a test, and Elijah gives him uh, a blessing. He says, ask what you want from me before I depart. What would you like? And Elisha says, I want a double portion of your blessing. And again, that means like a body double, an exact replica of what God gave you. I want that. And Elijah says, this is hard. I I can't promise this. But if you see me when I'm taken, you will have what you desire. And if you don't see me, then you will not have it. It'll be for the Lord to decide. And of course, as the two of them cross Jordan, and they go walking out. Elisha, because of his faithfulness, has come to the very edge as Elijah is about to be taken. And he gets, to, he gets the privilege of watching his master uh, raptured up in, or taken up into heaven. A chariot of fire comes down and, and parts them asunder. And as they're parted, a whirlwind takes Elijah up. And he cries out, uh, My father, my father, the chariots of Israel and the horsemen thereof. You know, a very weird parting. You would not think of this. But what he's saying is, first of all, my father, my father, he shows us his heart. He had literally left home and father, and God had given him another father, the prophet Elijah, and he loved him. Then he says, the horsemen and the chariots of Israel. And this is the idea that this is the offensive power of Israel. You know, and within Israel... God said you weren't to multiply horses and you weren't to multiply chariots because Israel was to be a defensive nation. They were not allowed to attack other nations without being attacked first, and they still hold to that policy today. It's not until another nation is ready to attack Israel and they have all their forces mustered, and usually 12 hours or 18 hours before the attack is to begin, Israel will invade and will attack them and destroy these forces that have been arrayed against them. And this is what God had wanted. They were not to be an aggressive nation. And Elisha looked at Elijah and he saw this man of God and he realized that the protection of Israel from its enemies was significantly decreased because one man who was completely faithful to God had gone home to be with the Lord. You know, we often look at a dark place and we wonder, what can one man do? And the question is not what one man can do. The question is, well, what does it require of us to be faithful to be that man? Because we have no idea what God can do with a man who's totally committed to him. So this is where we started with Elijah and Elisha. And we come now to chapter 3 where we have the miracle where Elisha is going to provide water for this army. And it's, it goes all the way through the end, verse 27 or, yeah, 27. And it's a long read. And so what we're going to do tonight is as we work our way through this, I want to take you to each one of the characters and introduce them to you because a lot happens and you really can't It's really difficult to understand it if you just read from the book of Kings. You have to kind of flip between Kings and Chronicles. Kings was the kings of Israel. Okay, that was the book that was written for the kings of Israel. And it's a history of the kings of Israel. Chronicles was written for the kings of Judah. 
You remember from Solomon, there was a split, and the kings of Judah uh, and Benjamin were separate from the kings of Israel, the northern tribes and kingdoms. Ten uh, tribes in Israel and two, Judah and the tribe of Benjamin uh, down in, in Judah, and they would have Jerusalem as their capital. The kings of Israel would have Samaria as their capital. And this is where Ahab lived. So we come to the start of this, and we see a new king, Jerome. And uh, maybe you remember uh, the last, one of the last miracles Elijah did. Uh, we saw Ahaziah, the king of Ahab, and in chapter 1, verse 2, now Ahaziah fell through the lattice of his upper win- window in Samaria and was injured. So he sent a messenger and said, go inquire of Baal Zelbub, the god of Ekron, whether I shall recover from this injury. So the, the king that came after Ahab dies in battle is his son Ahaziah. And Ahaziah only reigns two and a half, three years. And he's an evil king. He follows all the ways of Ahab, his father. He follows after Baal. He's the firstborn son. And uh, God judges him. The judgment that's been pronounced on the, on the household of Ahab is poured out on his son. And he is walking on his roof, and he falls through his, his skylight, which is covered with a, a wood uh, lattice. And he falls through, and he, he's hurt. And he sends to this God, and of course, Elijah intercepts the messenger and sends him back and says, you're going to die. So Ahaziah dies, and Ahaziah dies before he can have any children. So they take the second son of Ahab, Jehoram, and they anoint him as king. So this is where Jehoram comes from. And we see in the first couple of verses, Jehoram, this starting in verse one again, the son of Ahab became king over Israel of Samaria in the 18th year of Jehoshaphat. Now, uh, Jehoshaphat has been a godly king. He is the son of uh, Asa, Asa, who followed the Lord with all of his heart. He turned to the Lord of the kings of Judah. And if you go to 1 Kings, um, we'll be in 2 Kings for most of this, but... uh, or Second Chronicles for most of it, but First Kings has just a little bit about him. First um, Kings chapter twelve. I'm sorry. I'm. I should. We, let's not go. Okay, we're going to go there, but I, I was going in my mind to a different section. Let me go back and just tell you why we want to go to First Kings chapter twelve. Uh, In verse 2, it says, He did evil in the sight of the Lord, but not like his father or mother. For he put away the sacred pillars of Baal that his father had made. Nevertheless, he persisted in the sins of Jeroboam. Now, Jeroboam was the first king of Israel. And that's uh, once the nation of Israel and Judah had split, Jeroboam becomes the king of the ten tribes. And in 1 Kings chapter 12, we read about this, uh, what Jeroboam did. After Jeroboam takes over, uh, this is what he says in verse 25. It says, Then Jeroboam built Shechem in the mountains of Ephraim and dwelt there. Also he went out from there and built Peniel. And Jeroboam said in his house, said in his heart, verse 26, Now the kingdom may return to the house of David. Okay, he was worried. They had just split uh, from 
Rehoboam, the king of Judah, they had had a civil war, and Jeroboam had managed to, to, to take out 10 tribes with him. But the largest tribe, the tribe of Judah, the, the tribe that has the promise that the, the scepter will not depart from the house of Judah is still there. And so Jeroboam is worried, what can I do? And he says in verse 27, if these people go up to offer sacrifices in the house of the Lord at Jerusalem, then the heart of this people will turn back to their Lord. Now that right there should be an incredibly telling statement. He is worried that the hearts of the people will turn to the Lord their God. And Rehoboam, king of Judah, and they will kill me and go back to Rehoboam, king of Judah. Therefore, the king asked advice and made two golden calves, two calves of gold, and said to the people, it is too much for you to go up to Jerusalem. Here are your gods, O Israel, which brought you up from the land of Egypt. And he set one up in Bethel and the other he put in Dan. This is on both sides of the country so that no matter which side of Israel you lived on, it was quicker to go to one of these idols than it was to go to Jerusalem. Verse 30, now this thing became a sin for the people, became a sin for the people went to worship before the one as far as Dan. He made shrines on the high places and made priests from every class of people who were not of the sons of Levi. Jeroboam ordained a feast on the 15th day of the eighth month like the feast that was in Judah, same time frame. And he offered sacrifices on the altar. So he did at Bethel, and he sacrificing to the calves that he had made. And at Bethel, he installed the priests of the high places which he had made. So he made offerings on the altar which he had made at Bethel on the 15th day of the eighth month, in the month which he had devised in his own heart. And he ordained a feast for the children of Israel and offered sacrifices on the altar and burnt incense. So this is the sin that Jehoram is going to return to. He has seen that Baal does not have the power to overcome the true and living God. And he says, well, he says, but, you know, things were better under my fathers before we went to Baal. We, we worshiped the true God. We just did it our way. And so he goes back to the same sin, sin of Jeroboam. And we have the Lord's testimony against him. He did evil in the sight of the Lord. This is verse 2. Not like his fathers did. Uh, verse 3, nevertheless, he persisted in the sins of Jeroboam. God looks at worship that is done after man's patterns, man's intelligence, man's ways, and he says, what about it? He says it's evil. Remember Christ in uh, John chapter 4 talking to the Samaritan woman, and he said, they that worship God must worship him in spirit that means from the heart, right? And in truth. You can't have one and please God and skip the other. You can't say, well, my heart's right. You know, I'm going to go up to Dan and I'm going to worship at that golden calf and I'm going to remember the real God of Israel. It doesn't work that way. God is a jealous God. He laid down what had to be done and how it was to be done. Now, I want you to listen to two verses uh, or two sections from Deuteronomy, and just we're, we're going to look at these. And the Lord commanded at the, me at that time, this is Moses speaking, to teach you statues and judgments that you might observe them in the land when you cross over to possess it. Take careful heed to yourselves, for you saw no form from the Lord when he spoke to you at Horeb out of the midst of the fire. 
lest you act corruptly and make for yourselves a carved image in the form of any figure, the likeness of male or female, the likeness of any animal that is on the earth, or the likeness of any winged bird that flies in the air, the likeness of anything that creeps on the ground, or the likeness of any fish that is beneath the sea. So the first thing they did wrong is they made an idol. They made a form that, you know, they said it was to direct our worship to God. I'm sure they they tried to phrase it correctly. But God had expressly forbidden this part of worship. They were to remember at all times that God is a spirit. He is not bound by a place, but he is everywhere watching over the thoughts and intents and the actions of men. And so as they went to worship, they were to be reminded of this by the fact that there is no image of God, none. And in fact, we could take this back uh, and continue it, we have an empty cross because Christ is not on the cross. He is now at the right hand of the Father and his presence in his spirit is everywhere, watching over us, with us. We no longer need an ongoing sacrifice. We no longer believe he is still sacrificing himself on the cross. And this is part of that reason. Another uh, section from Levi, uh, Levi, Leviticus Try that again. Leviticus chapter 1, verses 2 and 3. This is about the offerings. It says, Speak to the children of Israel. Say to them, When any one of you brings an offering to the Lord, you shall bring your offering of the livestock, of the herd and of the flock. If his offering is a burnt offering of the herd, let him offer a male without blemish. He shall offer it of his own free will at the door of the tabernacle Let him uh, of meeting before the Lord. How many places was there in all of Israel to offer an offering? One. Chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, when he offers a sacrifice of a peace offering, if he offers it of the herd, whether male or female, he shall offer it without blemish before the Lord, and he shall lay his hands on the head of the offering and kill it at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. And Aaron's sons, the priests, shall sprinkle the blood all around on the altar. And I might add, even on the verse uh, 4, on the Leviticus chapter 1, it said the same thing. Aaron and his sons shall take of the blood and sprinkle it on the altar. There was only one place you could offer an offering. And it had to be, uh, the priest had to come out, lay their hands on it, it had to be cut there, slaughtered there, and then the blood was sprinkled on the offering. Whether it was a peace offering which could be male or female, or whether it was a sin offering, which, could be, which was male only. Now, is that important? Hebrews uh, 10.1 says, the law having a shadow of the good things to come. All of the law was just a picture of the things to come. So a lot of times when we look back at this, there are things that we can see through Christ that God was trying to, to put out, to show us. What was he trying to show us? I think there he was trying to show us this. There was only going to be one door. Remember, it was the tabernacle of meeting when men came to meet with God. There was only one door. And that was where the sacrifice was needed. Right there as you were meeting with God, you had one way. Sound familiar? John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Only one way. No one comes on the Father but by me. There's one door. 
Christ would say he was the door in John 10 to the sheepfold, and he is the good shepherd. All that come in by him come in and go out, but the thief climbs over the wall. There was one door, one way. There was only to be one place of sacrifice. We weren't, the children of Israel weren't allowed to, to sacrifice just at their home or somewhere out on a high mountain next to them, even though it was close. Why? Because there was only going to be one real sacrifice. And it would be the one who dwelt between men and God. It would be Jesus Christ on the cross. And so all of this was a picture and a shadow so that Israel would be set in their ways that they would know there is a specific way to worship God. When you step out of that, you step out into sin. I'm sure when uh, Jehoram thought he was putting away the altar, he's like, oh, I got it now. God will bless me. I'll put away the altar. And I'll worship according to the ways of my fathers instead of going back and finding out what the right way to worship was. Continues on in verse 6 of chapter 3 of 2 Kings. So King Jehoram went out of Samaria at that time. He mustered all Israel. Then he went and he sent Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, saying, The king of Moab has rebelled against me. Will you go up with me to fight against Moab? And he said, I will go up. I am as you are, my people as your people, my horses as your horses. Now, to understand Jehoshaphat, we can go to 2 Chronicles. I told you to put a bookmark in there. And we're going to start in chapter 16, the last couple of verses of chapter 16, last two verses, and the first one of verse 17. This is our introduction to Jehoshaphat. So Asa rested with his fathers. Now Asa was a godly king. He turned to the Lord with all of his heart. Asa rested with his fathers. He died in the 41st year of his reign, 41 years of reigning. They buried him in his own tomb, which he made for himself in the city of David, and they laid him in a bed which was filled with spices and various ingredients prepared in a mixture of ointments. They made a very great burning for him. So he had a good, uh, good death. There were some people that were evil, and they did not bury him in the city of David. They buried him outside the city. Asa was not that way. Then Jehoshaphat, his son, reigned in his place, and he strengthened himself. And he strengthened himself. What is this? He strengthened himself against Israel. Now, Jehoshaphat's the king of Judah. This is several hundred years after the war, but during the times of Asa, there was war between Israel and Judah. And so as Jehoshaphat gets in, the first thing he starts to do is, as he grew up, he was afraid of what was coming from Israel, and he starts to strengthen himself and strengthen the border between Judah and Israel. All right? He placed troops in all the fortified cities of Judah, and he set garrisons in the land of Judah in the cities of Ephraim, which Asa his father had taken. Ephraim was one of the twelve northern tri- or the ten northern tribes of Israel, and Asa had conquered a little bit on the border and had taken some of the cities from the king of Israel, and because the king of Israel had used them as staging points and had started to strengthen them. 
Now Asa had strengthened them further and he had made them instead staging points for Judah that there would be a line of defense between the two countries. Uh, Verse three, now the Lord was with Jehoshaphat because he walked in the former ways of his father David. When you want to know about Jehoshaphat, that's one of the important things. We've caught two. He's afraid of Israel and He's a righteous man who walks in the ways of David. He did not seek counsel of the Baals, but he sought the God of his fathers, and he walked in his commandments, not according to the acts of Israel. Therefore, the Lord established the kingdom in his hand, and all Judah gave presents to Jehoshaphat, and he had riches and honor in abundance. God blessed him, completely blessed him. Um, We're going to skip because we don't need to read all of this, but God uh, God was with Jehoshaphat. He established him, and Jehoshaphat appoints teachers to go out and teach through all the land of Judah. He appoints heads, and they they go out, and they set up little schools and little teaching places throughout the land. He wants the people to know the God he knows. He wants everybody to follow the Lord God. This is a godly king. Um, if we went down to chapter, the end of chapter 17 and uh, verse 13, it, there gives a list of all of his army. This is a single tribe that when they entered the land of Judah had just over 100,000 men. Guess how many he has by the time this is done. He has over a million men standing as an army. Over a million men standing as a professional army. This is Jehoshaphat. So when you think about Jehoshaphat, you are looking at a military power that has turned the tables on Israel and has been blessed by the Lord. We could read through the rest of this, but God gave him such a reputation that the Philistines and the nations around Judah started sending gifts to him. Why would they send gifts? They were afraid of him. They looked at this man and they knew God was with him. He, I mean, a million men, a million men that he could call up if he called them all up. And, the, you know, this is not like when the nation goes to war and David says, bring everybody, we're going. This is a million men that were in rotational training to go to war. Young men ready for war. So we see in 18 chapter 1, it says Jehoshaphat had riches and honor in abundance. Uh Uh-oh. Here's the third thing we need to know. And by marriage, he allied himself with King Ahab. Okay, we don't find that in the Chronicles, or in the Kings, but we do find it in the book of 2 Chronicles chapter 1 verse 18. He was afraid of Israel. And one of the things he did is he made a marriage alliance with the daughter of Ahab. Was that good? No, that was bad. And so we find when King Ahab was ready to go up and fight in the battle that he is going to die in, and he asked Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, to go in chapter 18, verse 13, or verse 3, so Ahab, king of Israel, said, Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, will you go with me against Ramoth Gilead? And he answered, he said, I am as you are, and my people as your people. We will be with you in the war. Ahab comes to his, his neighbor, who's the military power in the whole land, been blessed by God, and just like the Israelites under King Saul, we're going to go get the, 
uh, the Ark of the Covenant. God will go with us, whether he wants to or not, <laughs> right? We're taking it with us. We're going to go get this man with the million-man army, and we're going to go fight. And in chapter 19 uh, of Second Chronicles, chapter 19, 1 through 3, we, fi- we find Jehoshaphat's first rebuke. Then Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, returned safely to his house in Jerusalem. This is after Ahab dies in the battle. And Jehu, the son of Hananiah, the seer, went out to meet him. And he said to King Jehoshaphat, Should you help the wicked and love those who hate the Lord? Therefore, the wrath of the Lord is upon you. That's quite the judgment. God has helped him, and he's done everything right, and here he's just kind of covering his tail, doesn't want to get in too much trouble. And what do we find? God is angry with him. Wrath is poured out because you have not chosen to do what? You have not chosen to trust in the Lord. When you trust in the might of men, when you trust in your own wisdom, in the own way of doing things, often we step outside of the will of God. I'm not going to say always, because there might be situations where it does line up with what God has said. But usually, it's something different than what God has said. Jehoshaphat's been afraid of Israel, so he allies himself with Ahab. And when Ahab says, come help me, they have an alliance. Jehoshaphat can say, well, I made a promise. I have to go. And so he goes, and he has his first rebuke. Now, after that... In chapter 20 of 2 Chronicles, we have something that takes place while Ahaziah is dying. Okay, He's only reigning for two to three years, and in that time, we have Israel's battle against Moab, or Judah's battle against Moab. Moab is who comes up against Israel in our lesson. And in verses 1 through 4, it says, And it happened after this that the people of Moab with the people of Ammon and others with them besides the Ammonites came to battle against Jehoshaphat. Then some came and told Jehoshaphat saying, a great multitude is coming against you from beyond the sea, from Syria and those that are in Hazaz and Tamar, which is in Gedi. And Jehoshaphat feared and set himself to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. So Judah gathered together to ask help from the Lord and from all the cities of Judah and they came to seek the Lord. Now, from verses 5 to 13 is his prayer. This is a godly man. He prays a beautiful prayer for the glory of God, that the people would know that there is a God in Judah, that they are his. And God answers, verse 13. Now all Judah, with their little ones, their wives and their children, stood before the Lord. Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gehazi, the son of Zechariah, the son of Benaiah, the son of Jael, the son of Mataniah, a Levite of the sons of Apha. In other words, he was a singer in the midst of the assembly. And he said, listen, all you of Judah and you inhabitants of Jerusalem and you, King Jehoshaphat, thus says the Lord to you, do not be afraid nor dismayed because of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow, go down against them. They will surely come up by the ascent of Z, and you will find them at the end of the brook before the wilderness of Jerul. You will not need to fight in this battle. Position yourself, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord who is with you. O Judah and Jerusalem, 
Do not fear, do not be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them, for the Lord is with you. And Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground, and all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem bowed before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. So they have prayed, and God chooses to answer by one of the the singers of the temple. And this man stands up and he says, this is what's going to happen. The Lord is going to fight for you. You won't have to fight this battle. Now, just again, try to get your, if Jehoshaphat has a one million man army, how big do you think this group that's coming against him is? Huge, huge. But Judah's the rich target, right? They're the rich target. He's not gone to war with hardly anyone. The only cities that he's fortified are between him and Israel. The side with him and Moab's wide open. So here comes this alliance of three nations with probably hired mercenaries from the sounds of it from some of the other nations, and they're coming in with a group. Millions of people are going to go fight here. Continuing on in verse 20. They rose early in the morning, they went out into the wilderness of Tekoa, and as they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and he said, okay, you think about this, what would you do if God told you you wouldn't have to fight? Well, you know, just in case, we're going to put our, our, our men with the armor in the front with the shields, and we're going to put the archers behind them, and I want a wing of cavalry on either side, and <laughs> that's not what Jehoshaphat does. And Jehoshaphat stood and he said, Hear me, O Judah, you inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God, and he shall be, and you shall be established. Believe his prophets, and you shall prosper. What does he say? Trust God. Look at his word. Look what he said. Take those things to heart and believe. And when he had consulted with the people, he appointed those who would sing who should praise the beauty of his holiness. And they went out before the army saying, praise the Lord for his mercy endures forever. Probably singing the psalm that says not. Now when they began to sing and to praise, the Lord set ambushes against the people of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, who came against Judah, and they were defeated. For the people of Ammon and Moab stood up against the inhabitants of Mount Seir and utterly killed them and destroyed them. And when they had made an end of the inhabitants of Seir, they helped to destroy one another. So when Judah came to the place overlooking the wilderness, they looked towards the multitude, and there they were, dead bodies fallen to the earth. No one had escaped. This is Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, afraid of Israel, but trusting in God allied with Israel, having been rebuked by the prophet for having gone up and helped Israel. I'd love to continue on, but we're going to stop there. We're going to stop there. We've got more to go as we actually get into Elisha and what happens with this, with them meeting together. We'll take it next week. I want you to think, though, about the Lord our God. We come tonight to the table of the Lord, and what do we come to remember? We come to remember a covenant that God made with us, that he would shed his blood and his body would be broken for the payment, 
for our sins. And that if we would trust him, if we would obey, we would be his. And I'd ask you to go back and look at what Jehoshaphat said. There are times when to trust God is anything but easy. When nations come in alliance against you, when evil rises up in a land, when it makes no sense physically to put your trust in the Lord. And yet that is when God is most glorified when we say, I will do it the Lord's way. I will trust in the Lord. We come here tonight to remember the table of the Lord. God promised his son back in Genesis chapter 3. He continued, we didn't have all of it. He promised again in Genesis to Abraham. He gave further details of it to David, to the prophets, to Micah, all the way through. And his son came, just like he said. He was the one way. He was the door between the temple of meeting, between us and God. He he opened that door. He tore the... When he died, the the veil in the temple was torn from top to bottom because that sacrifice was now complete that they had been enacting year after year after year waiting for the real one. It was now complete. And now we reenact this ceremony, not a true sacrifice, but a remembrance of what Christ did for us, of his shedding of his blood. And he challenges us. Will you put your trust in him? Will you believe in him and follow him? And we have the same choice in front of us today that that Judah had in front of them. Will you truly trust his word? We looked at just one example of how Jehoshaphat did that and what God did to bless him. May we in our lives as well consider this well. This is what this is for. Do we know the Lord truly? Are we really willing to trust him? Are we doing it in our own strength?